0: I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of the Church News. Welcome to the Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints with leaders, members, and others on the Church News team. We end each Church News Podcast by giving our guests the last word and the opportunity to answer the very important question What do you know now? We hope each of you will also be able to answer the same question and say, I have just been listening to the Church News Podcast, and this is what I know now. I love a popular quote by an unknown author about reflection. With reflection, we look back so that the view looking forward is even clearer. This week, we take a few minutes for reflection on the Church News Podcast. We want to look back on the stories that have caught the attention of our audience and we want to share with you the story behind the story and what we learned from all of those stories. Today on the Church News podcast, we welcome Jason Swenson, a senior reporter and associate editor of the Church News. He's also a frequent contributor to the Desert News. Jason is a proud graduate of the University of Utah, and he's filed stories for the Church News and Desert News from several Latin American countries, from Europe and from the South Pacific. He spent most of his career chronicling the growth of the church in Mexico, Central, and South America. And today we're going to talk about so many of the stories that he's brought to church news readers. Jason, welcome to the Church News Podcast.
1: Sarah, good to be with you.
0: Well, uh, one of Jason's superpowers is this ability to, to notice something that has caught the attention of the general public and then apply it to our Latter-day Saint audience. And um one of those stories recently was a story that he wrote about Bob Turner. Now, uh today for the Church News podcast, we're going to focus on a lot of athletes. But Bob Turner is not an athlete even though his story has a lot of athletic connections. Jason, tell us who Bob Turner is.
1: Uh well, I'll I'll correct you a bit, uh Sarah. Bob would tell you that in fact, uh he he was a a college athlete and uh played golf uh in college. At a university uh, in Tokyo, as a matter of fact, and and I think one thing I, f- I find uh, with a lot of old athletes, uh, they may retire, put on a few pounds, their hair goes great, but uh, they will always answer to athlete. And I think that was the case with uh, with Bob Turner. But but in answer to your question, uh, Bob Turner is a a Latter Day Saint, really involved in his YSA stake in Lehigh. and he also happens to be the translator slash handler for Hideki Matsuyama, which uh, if you're a golf fan or a sports fan, that's a familiar name, of course. Uh, Hideki just won the uh, 2021 Masters Championship, uh, probably the premier, most widely known, celebrated uh, golf tournament in the world. And uh, Hideki is uh, from Japan and relies uh, heavily upon Bob uh, in many, many ways, not only as his translator, but also as his handler. And also the two are just very, very, very good friends.
0: Well, and the two of them made history, and then we started seeing Bob Turner in the background.
1: It, it, well, it was funny. I was, I was watching the last round of the Masters uh, with my wife, uh, and then, of course, uh, they transitioned from from the course to the uh, area where uh, where Hideki, the new Masters champion, was being interviewed for the first time. And uh, there, were of course, were the familiar faces, uh, Jim Nance, uh, from CBS Sports and Dustin Johnson, the last year's master's champion, the new champion, Hideki. And then I noticed right to Hideki's side was this uh, silver-haired gentleman, not Japanese. uh, 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 And as soon as he spoke, he was uh, clearly American. They introduced him as Bob Turner uh, and said, you know, and introduced him as this is uh, Hideki's uh, friend and interpreter and handler. And then proceeded with the interview uh, with, uh, with Bob, with Mr. Turner, doing all the translation duties. And I remember sitting with my wife and, and looking at at Bob and his uh, interactions with Hideke in Japanese. And I remember thinking immediately, I don't know Bob Turner, but I, I bet he is a Latter-day Saint. I bet he's a return missionary. And so sure enough, I did some checking and and quickly learned that, in fact, you know, Bob was, in fact, a Latter-day Saint, was, in fact, a return missionary and a very observant member of the church and has this great history uh, with Hideki uh, through his own history of golf in Japan that, um, oh, about a decade ago developed into a friendship and a professional relationship, and now he is literally Hideki's right-hand man.
0: And let's transition here because – So much happened uh, that impacted athletics during the the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. And sporting events were canceled. Uh, People could not train the way they needed to. And so, as with so many things, a lot that happened for athletes was put on hold. Uh, Just a few months ago, we watched the BYU men's and women's cross-country and track teams excel and actually win some national titles and draw some attention to that program. Jason, you wrote an interesting story on why Latter-day Saints have so much success in distance running. And um, this, this was so interesting because the, the BYU coach had a mantra during the COVID-19 pandemic where she, she asked her team to win the weight. So while other people were sitting back, she said, nope, let's train, let's dig in, let's make sure that we do everything during the COVID-19 pandemic that will prepare us to compete when we're done, and Jason, tell us what happened as a result.
1: Well, it, it was it was obviously a stellar year for distance runners at Brigham Young University. The women's team uh, won the national championship in cross country, and then their teammate on the men's side, Connor Mance, won the individual uh, cross country championship uh, at that same event. And beyond that, what was remarkable as I was as I was looking over the list of top finishers on the women's side. Obviously, there were a number of of high-performing BYU athletes, but then I was also able to to spot two LDS athletes in the top seven of the cross-country championship who were not BYU athletes. A young woman named Taylor Rowe from Oklahoma State and a young woman uh, named Summer Allen from Weber State University, and that's when I realized, I don't know what's happening here, but Latter-day Saints seem to be performing at a really, really high rate in distance running. And so I thought, I need to try to pursue this and try to figure out why. Uh, you have uh, the women's team winning it all, on the men's side, uh, a return missionary uh, winning it from BYU, and then uh, two uh, female athletes not affiliated with BYU finishing in the top seven. Uh, so I thought i better pursue that.
0: And and what did you find?
1: Well, I, I found that, you know, I had a chance to speak with a number of coaches and the athletes themselves and found a few things. Uh, number one, there's a real legacy in the church of elite distance runners. Uh, and so many of these athletes are the children of former athletes. I remember speaking with Ed Eyestone, uh the track coach at BYU and, and certainly a, a celebrated distance runner in his own uh in his own right, uh, asked him what was the secret, and, and he said, "Well, if I always tell people if you want to be an elite distance runner, then you need to choose your parents wisely. And that was certainly playing out because so many times I speak to these athletes and it's their parents. But there were some there were some gospel elements that I think have served them well as athletes, and particularly as distance runners, things like being able to work hard to stay disciplined, delayed gratification. All of those elements that we learn in the church, that help us in so many ways as a fundamental gospel principle, but translate really well over to distance running as well. It seems like without fail I was speaking with athletes who just put in mile after mile after mile after mile, usually with little celebration, little fanfare, but expecting a reward at the end in and, and however that develops. And, and so uh, I think certainly there were some gospel principles that coaches and athletes alike were able to point to that— seem to produce elite distance running and we've seen that and you know it was just recently even even after the uh, cross-country championships I followed up with another story on a a young woman named Anna Camp Bennett uh, who just won the 1500 uh, NCAA title and another story of a distance runner who's just worked really really hard usually with little fanfare and is now enjoying you know the success of of that patience and, and her efforts.
0: Well, and I can't even imagine the hours and hours and painful training that has to go into making a distance runner. So often when we look at the story behind the story, we learn things that sort of surprise us. And um, in another story you did recently, I was surprised. And that was a story on, on Matt Gay. Matt Gay is a football player and a place kicker for the Los Angeles Rams who who went to the University of Utah for his undergraduate years. And um, he's also a Latter-day Saint. And and he shared with you something that was really interesting. Tell us what you learned from him.
1: Well, Matt Gay has a fascinating story because um, he actually grew up as a soccer player, and that was his first love. And in the process, developed a really, really, really strong kicking foot, succeeded at the highest levels of youth soccer, and then uh, prior to his, to his mission, played soccer at Utah Valley University for a while and then returned home from his mission and um, decided to try place-kicking on football, on American football, and long story short, uh, ended up at the University of Utah where he had a stellar All-American career. And you would think of, of all people who would never have any sort of uh, uh, challenges or doubts or or, or the, the obstacles that we might see uh, uh, today, a place kicker would be one. But in learning a little bit more about Matt Gay, uh, discovered, in fact, that this was a young man who had suffered uh, for quite some time uh, in a battle with depression and how that was something that had interfered with the quality of his own life. And it was fascinating to be able to talk to Matt uh, about that issue that so many people, of course, can recognize – and I appreciated him being so open as he discussed his own challenges and how he's been able to utilize just a lot of day-to-day faith and prayer and the support and love of everyone from coaches to his families to his priesthood leaders who have all just helped him sort of manage day-to-day uh, this battle with depression, which you can imagine would be so essential for someone like a place kicker who was always going to you know, only be as good as his last kick— it doesn't matter how many field goals you kick, how many PATs you make consecutively. The time that you miss that game-winning field goal, you know, you're everyone's goat. Uh, and I can imagine how emotionally difficult that must be, the sort of pressure. Uh, but Matt's been able to persevere, and he was very, very candid in speaking with me about uh, his own battle with depression and how he's been able to not only survive but thrive, and here he is now. You know, I think on a, and now he's playing for the Rams, as you mentioned, and I think he's going to have a really, really successful career. But he has his day-to-day challenges that he has to face, and I, I think readers could connect with that right away.
0: I have been so touched in recent years as we've seen a transparency and a willingness to be vulnerable from a lot of the people that we have featured in the church news. Um, another one of those people is Isaac Asiata. And um, he is also a former football player who played at the University of Utah. I think he's a guard, right?
1: He's an offensive lineman. Yeah.
0: And um, tell us what you learned from him.
1: Well, uh, you know, I will say full disclosures as a hardcore Ute, uh, Isaac was always been one of my favorite players, al- along with Matt Gay, because of so many game winning uh, heroics we enjoyed uh, during Matt's tenure up at the U. Uh, but Isaac was one always been one of my favorites because he's just – you know not only is an outstanding athlete in a first-rate line, but just a gregarious, fun guy with a big, big personality. And so I was eager to be able to catch up with him and get to know him a little bit better. But again, as, as I had a chance to uh, sit down where, uh, and speak with Isaac a, a few years ago about his experiences in the NFL, at some point in our conversation, it transitioned to his – some of the own challenges that he had faced – years earlier, uh, when he was serving a mission, and then if memory serves me, he returned home because he was dealing with some injuries or some health challenges, and at some point made the decision not to return to his mission. And that decision, he dealt with some pushback from a lot of different people who thought that he was he was making the wrong decision. And I remember Isaac telling me that um, okay, people are saying that I'm the bad guy. Well, guess what? I'm gonna be the bad guy, I guess then. And for a time, stepped away uh, from the church or at least from full activity in different things. And it wasn't until uh, a few of his coaches and teammates and other loved ones, you know, who recognized that his value was far beyond being able to protect a quarterback or open up a hole for his running backs. uh, They realized what a special guy Isaac was and they supported him. You know, they ministered to him. These were coaches, these were teammates who offered priesthood blessings. I remember one teammate accompanied him to the temple for the first time uh, in several years. And all of these experiences helped bring Isaac sort of back into the fold, if you will, into, into full activity. And and, and now he's, he's married and has uh, some beautiful children. The last I caught up with Isaac, he was working as a police officer in Provo and just a first-rate guy. But it was a testament to the power of ministering. And how people can look out for one another. And he was also very candid in, in talking to me about ways that we can uh, best support people who, for whatever reason, their missions are don't end the way that, that perhaps that they had anticipated. And just some really good common sense counsel that I think all of us needed to hear about how he was able to sort of transition out of that challenge. So that was a super story.
0: Well, and his story never had more relevance than as the COVID-19 pandemic is accelerating and the church is, is sending home missionaries to their home countries. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, who was the uh, chair of the church's executive missionary council, said that at one point, thirty-two thousand missionaries were crisscrossing the globe. Obviously, each of those missionaries had their own story. And some of those missionaries had missions that ended earlier than they had anticipated. Some of them had missions that ended in a reassignment to another mission. Um, Above all is that during this time, every missionary had to uh, learn to be a little flexible and learn to, to have their story unfold before them. And so what a great lesson from someone who was willing to share his story long before that ever happened. You know, this year was also an interesting year because the church sustained new general authorities. One was Elder Vice Sikahema. Uh Jason, you wrote his profile as a new general authority. Uh, many of us knew Elder Sikahema long before his church service because of his career as an athlete.
1: Yeah, and it was so much fun working with uh, Elder Sikahema because, he, you know, again, he's just a, a great guy, big personality Loves to talk sports, loves to talk football. Uh, he's been a great source for me uh, over the last couple of years as I've done stories on on some fellow Polynesian church members uh, connected to the football world like uh, Coach Ken Niamatulolo at, at Navy uh, as, as well as Kalani Sataki, of course, at BYU. And, and uh, they've, I've been able to develop some fun stories. So I had a, a fun working relationship with Elder Sikahima prior to his call to the seventy. I was thrilled when that call came because uh, I knew just uh, what a great guy he was, and it was so much fun hearing his own story about how uh, he's worked his way up as an immigrant to a football star at BYU, making the difficult decision to serve a mission, and then uh, enjoying the sort of success that he's had, not only as an all-pro football player, but as a beloved sportscaster and journalist in the Philadelphia area, uh, who has never felt the need to compartmentalize his faith. He didn't have to set it aside. He didn't have to ever apologize. He could be an elite football player. He could be a respected journalist. And he could remain loyal to his Latter-day Saint convictions seamlessly. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn from, you know, in any capacity.
0: Well, and and in the interest of transparency here, you know, when we introduced Jason today, we said he was a, a proud University of Utah graduate he actually has a daughter that that went to Brigham Young University where she uh, played collegiate soccer, and a son that is currently at the Naval Academy. Now with that, you know, you'd mention the Naval Academy, but we have featured quite a few stories on Navy's football coach.
1: And, and full disclosure, President Niamatulolo, and I call him President Niamatulolo because, of course, he's not only the head football coach at Navy. And the winningest uh, football coach in in the academy's history. He's also the uh, the president of the Annapolis or the Maryland Stake. So he's my son's priesthood leader, and just an outstanding super guy who reminds me of Elder Sikahima in a lot of different ways. Because uh, again, as I've spoken to him, I've got the sense that again he's never felt the need to compartmentalize his profession from his faith. And there's some real lessons there. And I visited with. Coach Niamatu Lolo in his uh, football offices in Annapolis, and there are quotes from President Hinckley, the writings of general authorities, and other things that any visitor, any recruits going to see and know exactly who this guy is, and he's 100% comfortable with that. And, uh, you know, he never has to say, okay, I'm going to put on my football hat now, or I'm going to put on my priesthood leader hat. He's the same guy. And that's always been remarkable that... He's felt no need to apologize or even explain or even compartmentalize his, his profession from, from his faith. And so it's, it's been so much fun to be able to see the success that he's had.
0: Well, and while we're talking about Navy, uh, I want to shift and, and talk a little bit about Mason Wells. We just wrote an update on his story for our audience. Um, we first heard of Mason Wells while he was a missionary. Uh, he uh, was unfortunately at the Belgium airport. At the same time, there was a horrific terrorist attack there where he was injured. Um, Mason is is not an athlete like the others we're talking about on this podcast, although Jason did tell me before we started this that he did play a little high school football. So, Jason, by your earlier definition, I'm sure he considers himself an athlete in some form.
1: He certainly looks the part. Uh, I was with him just a few days ago, and he, he looks fit. And, he, and you're right, he was a high school football player and comes from an athletic family. So I think we can safely call Mason an athlete, sure.
0: <laughs> so update us on where Mason is, and, and actually uh, tell us the end of this story. We, we met him after this horrific terrorist attack, and, and then you followed up with him at the Naval Academy.
1: If I may, Sarah, I'll go ahead and sort of start from the beginning of my association with, with Mason in the same way that I, that I referenced earlier that I was watching the Masters press conference and spotted Bob Turner speaking Japanese and thought, I bet he's a church member— under far darker circumstances, I remember driving to work that awful morning uh, in 2016 and learning the news of this terrorist bombing in Belgium and thinking to myself, okay, that's a big airport. I bet there will be some sort of Latter-day Saint connection and we'll find ourselves involved in the reporting of this, of this horrible crime. And sure enough, before too long, and you'll remember, Sarah, we, we got the, the awful news that four missionaries— a missionary companionship that included Elder Wells along with a senior uh, missionary and a sister missionary were counted among the victims of the bombing and all were seriously injured including Mason. So that was the first time on that on that awful morning that I ever heard Mason Wells name and began our coverage of the missionaries uh, the news of their involvement uh, in the bombing and then their recovery over the over the next few weeks and months. So I think Church members around the world became familiar with, with missionaries, you know, like Mason and his companion Drez and the others because they loved them and they were worried about them. Uh, so I think we did a pretty good job keeping track of them. And then a year or two passed, and I learned from some of my Naval Academy friends, hey, you remember Mason Wells from the bombing? I said, of course. And he said, "Well, well, Mason's got himself an appointment to the Naval Academy. And I thought, well, readers are going to want to know about that because they're so concerned about these missionaries. And to hear him be able to make that next transition into his life and be able to do something like uh, begin studying the academy, people will really be interested in. So as you referenced, Sarah, I, I did a story just as he was about to ready to enter the academy and kept up with him uh, over the last few years. This is an ongoing story, uh, but at this point, it's, it's, it has something of a happy ending. I was able to uh, put a story together uh, right at the end of, of May with the great news that uh, Mason was uh, was graduating from the Naval Academy. He's in good shape. He's feeling healthy. He was commissioned an ensign in the Navy and is about to start in a few weeks his uh, pilot training down in Pensacola, Florida, which is a fulfillment of a dream, a dream that he didn't know, frankly, if he was going to be, uh, to fulfill after the bombing, and is Anyone who read that story knows that there's more to that. There's even a, a, a bit of romance in the <laughs> Mason Wells story, which is fun. When when Mason was uh, in his plebe year, his freshman year at the academy, which is, again, having had a son at the academy during plebe year, I know it's, it's an awful tough year and you need good friends. And that year he was fortunate enough to meet a young woman from California who became a friend, Cassidy Hilton, and the two of them struck up a friendship that developed into a relationship Cassidy at the time was not a Latter Day Saint, but knew a lot of church members growing up in the San Diego area. And uh, when I had a chance to speak with both Mason and Cassidy, Cassidy reminded me that she had told Mason, "We can be friends, Mason, but remember, I know everything about the church, so you don't need to tell me any more about it." Mason gave her a space, and uh, they they went to church together and other meetings. And at some point, it was Cassidy who approached Mason and said, "I want to know. I guess. I guess I don't know everything. I want to know a little bit more." Can we talk to the missionaries? And so certainly a fun element of that story is a year or two after they met at the academy, Mason was able to baptize Cassidy. They continued their studies together. And then in May, they graduated together. And then just a few days after graduation, they made the cross-country trip from Annapolis to San Diego, where they were married there in the San Diego Temple. I had a chance to spend some time with with Mason and Cassidy at a at a reception uh, in Mason's Salt Lake City home. They both look great. Uh, she looked beautiful in her wedding dress. Mason looked very very handsome in his ensign's uniform. And um, as is typical of all newly commissioned officers, they're about ready. to head different directions. Mason, as I mentioned, goes to flight school. Cassidy's going to be a uh, a surface warfare officer, so she starts her schooling. And they'll they'll sort of be separated for a time, but. You know what a remarkable story to, to to see the the Wells family at their most desperate, tragic moment after that bombing, and to see Mason's persistence. He still carries the scars of that bombing. Uh, you, you can look at his at his hands, and and the burn scars remain. But he proudly wears his academy ring on one hand and his wedding ring on the other, and he's persevered and he's succeeded. and And I think people are thrilled to see this success story for both Mason and now Cassidy Hilton Wells.
0: Well, and and that sort of takes us back to where we started with that quote on reflection, because when we look back at people's experiences, then the view looking forward is even clearer because we know where they've come from. Another person whose career that we followed at the church news, and one that I think will have the eyes of the world on her, in the not so distant future is Michaela Skinner, who is a gymnast who will be participating in the next Olympics.
1: I really think that the, the storyline you're going to see a lot with Michaela uh, as people watch the games, and of course, there's always great interest in gymnastics. It's one of the most popular events, is that Kayla is the personification of persistence, which I think to, to be able to succeed at that level in gymnastics and, and, and maybe at anything else, it, you know, the rewards really do go to those who persist. So, if you remember in 2016, Michaela was actually selected as an alternate to the team. She went to Brazil, but I'm sure for a competitor like Michaela, that had to have been so hard to be so close and yet so far away from the Olympics. And uh, she, those of us who are University of Utah fans, of course, know well that she went on and competed for the University of Utah. And then, I believe a year or so ago, decided to make the, the big shift to step away from collegiate athletics and concentrate again on making the national team uh, so she could qualify for the Olympics. I remember speaking to Michaela in, in 2019 and I talked about how persistent she is. And I guess anyone who followed gymnastics associated Michaela with her steadiness because if I remember she had performed like 161 different routines without falling. Cool. Yes. And I don't know a lot about competitive gymnastics, but I I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's a huge accomplishment considering the events there on the beams and the vaults and different things. She had gone 161 times. She finds herself competing again for a spot on the U.S. national team, is on the beam, and seconds into her performance, she falls. Uh, And I'm sure at that moment, knowing that hundreds of thousands of people were watching and everyone was saying, wow, we can't believe Michaela just fell, she had to decide, okay, where do I go from here? And... It sounds cliche, but she got back on the beam. She performed and she made the team. And I thought, you know, in, in being able to speak to Michaela after that, she just simply said, that's that's what I do. I just have to persist. And we've certainly seen that over the last year where she's had to deal with COVID. She is, um, apparently she had to be hospitalized for a while with pneumonia, had big interruptions. Michaela's 24 years old, which I guess in the world of competitive gymnastics makes her, you know, almost a geriatric athlete uh, compared <laughs> yes. to all those other other teens, but she has persisted. She's done well. She has also uh, recently married in the past year, and now she's going to be competing in Tokyo. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch her. And I think, regardless if she wins a medal or finds her way to the podium, or if she falls seconds into her routine, I think all of us are going to recognize you know some of the lessons that she can teach us uh, with her persistence.
0: Well, and these are the lessons that we've seen highlighted all the way from everything we've talked about. You know, you have a Bob Turner who has just consistently uh, gone through his career and uh, supported uh, the people and used the language he learned on his mission, all the way down to football players who were vulnerable enough to share with us stories of their own falls, their own shortcomings. And then you've got, you know, BYU distance runners who are just keeping at it. Mason Wells, who's who's just working hard every day to move forward with his life after an unfortunate turn of events. And and Michaela Skinner, who, who refuses to give up. And so we have a tradition at the Church News Podcast, Jason, as you know, where we, we always give our guests the last word. And we have them answer the same question. And the question is, what do you know now? And so As you look back on your career, and especially on your career where you've had the opportunity to write about and profile uh, some prominent Latter-day Saints who have uh, excelled in different forms of of athletics, tell us what you've learned. Uh, What do you know now? I think
1: the most important thing that I've learned from a number of these athletes is that being an elite gymnast or an NFL place kicker, or a national championship distance runner. It's what these athletes do, but it's not who they are. And I have heard that message from so many different athletes, from Tony Finau to Michaela Skinner uh, to Isaac Asiata, and from Mason Wells as he's pursued his own dreams. Each one of these individuals recognized that their true identity was as a son or a daughter of God, and that was not conditioned upon their performance in a football game, or at a golf tournament, or in a gymnastics meet, or even in a classroom. And I think their identity is never a reflection of their medal, or their trophy, or their honor. Their identity is that there is a son or a daughter of God. And I'm going to face my own challenges, my own shortcomings. And if I have that identity always at the front of my mind, then I know I can overcome those, those challenges.
0: You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor, Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.